Kelly, what are your thoughts on Palestine and Israel? <laughs> All right, just kidding. Don't answer that. Uh, welcome to another episode of A24 on the Rocks. Today we are reviewing A24's first foreign language film, the 2017 indie drama Menashe. I'm your Gentile friend, Eric Kiska, drinking a dry Spanish red wine to settle me in on this winter night. Up next, we have my lovely wife, Kelly. Hey, it's me, everyone's lovely wife. Just kidding. Only Eric's. I think I made that joke before. Anyways, I'm drinking the same thing as Eric because we live in the same house. Maybe you've heard that one before, too. Regardless, um, thanks for joining us on this episode. And after me comes a guy in Alaska. Hey, what's up? It's Cole William Whitlaw Gibson. Uh, I'm going full sicko mode and I'm drinking NyQuil and some sparkling waters because I am a sick little boy. <laughs> so up next, we got my boy. Good evening, world. It's Kevin K. Kahn-Konachek. And speaking of familiar things and familiar jokes, guess what? I'm drinking whiskey. That's right. I'm drinking a wild turkey rare breed bottle tonight. It's barrel proof, which means that it's 116.8 proof which makes it damn near jet fuel. But I had a good day today, so I'm going to drink this and have a good time while talking about movies with my friends. So whiskey for me, and uh, happy to be here. Lahayam. <laughs> Lahayam. Shalom. Yeah. So as previously mentioned, today we are reviewing the 2017 indie drama Menashe. This film focuses on a Hasidic Jewish widower named Menashe who is trying to prove to his rabbi and his brother-in-law that he is fit to raise his only son, even though it goes against the Torah to raise a child in a single-parent household. It was mainly shot in Borough Park, Brooklyn, which is one of the largest Orthodox Jewish communities outside of Israel. Our main character, Menashe, is played by a man named Menashe Lustig. And this film was apparently loosely based on his life. Our director, Joshua Weinstein, had met Menashe and at first wanted to make a documentary about him because uh, Joshua Weinstein uh, has made several documentaries before this film ever uh, came out. But he quickly realized that it would be quite difficult to get Hasidic Jewish people to agree to be on camera. And so Weinstein made a feature film instead. It premiered on January 23rd, 2017 at Sundance Film Festival to wide critical acclaim including a 95% Rotten Tomatoes score, and that was later distributed in the same year by A24. So uh, I want to start out just like our listeners here might not know exactly who we are or uh, maybe our backgrounds, as we've said in previous podcasts. What religion did you grow up as? Uh, Kelly, you start out here. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and not enough people tell me like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that as I expect to hear, in returns. But I was indoctrinated with what I was indoctrinated with. And then by the time I got to college, I found myself more and more interested in world religions as a whole. And I nearly minored in religious studies. So I just think that the whole idea of religion and its use and impact, along with the spiritualism that it provides to people, is deeply, deeply fascinating. And the idea of a whole entire community that is still kind of following what I consider very old world 
teachings is also deeply, deeply fascinating, especially today, like modern time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I grew up as a uh, Catholic. I'm confirmed, but uh, I was definitely a little bit of a rebellious Catholic, and my parents kind of dragged me there just because it was their tradition. Um, you know, their parents were Catholic, their parents before them were, but I almost got kicked out of catechism because I uh, asked my teacher, would Jesus bomb innocent kids in Iraq? Um, so that's my background. Kevin, uh, how did you grow up religious-wise? Uh, I would say pretty much exactly like you. Uh, Roman Catholic, born and raised, baptized, confirmed. I uh, went to private Catholic elementary school, K through eight. Uh, that was interesting. I had like a class of 14 people. Uh, very closeted, quiet relationship with uh, fucking the church, I guess, when I was a kid. But then I figured out that going to church twice a week, every week, was forceful and was not something that I was uh, I was down with in the long run. So when I got to college, I kind of uh, always decided that my Sundays were worth more than being forced to listen to some guy's opinion on something or another. And I'd rather spend it with my friends and family doing other things. Uh, so I do think that religion has a great place in the world and every single recorded um, civilization in history has had some sort of religion to it. And I think that, like Kelly said, is fascinating and it's documented everywhere. So there's always a question of what's out there and it's usually answered by something. And in um, this case, religion being the answer to that. So for me, grew up uh, very much uh, indoctrinated as well with it being completely around me all the time. And it was just the expectation that if you had a problem in life, you pray it away and it'll be fine. Pray, it'll be okay. Oh, you're, you're depressed? Just pray. Uh, you don't have any money? Pray. Uh, whatever it may be, just pray. And I think that that's kind of what drove me a little way. Yeah, do it yourself sometimes. Yeah. And Cole, I know you grew up in the religion of hockey and maple syrup, right? Hell yeah. <clears throat> Small town, uh, farm town living. Uh, I would say I grew up as a holiday Christian Protestant where basically the only time I ever went to church was like Easter and the night before Christmas and things like that. Uh, not super religious household. Um, it's interesting because my parents and family members have all gotten more religious as time has gone on. So like as I've grown up in a, essentially a non very like a not religious household, they've all gotten extremely religious comparatively. Like I've seen all of my parents get baptized and my sisters be baptized. However, I never was as a child or ever. So mm. I uh you know, they're all gonna go to heaven and I won't, I suppose. But uh yeah, I I don't know. I don't really have a close connection to anything. I think religion is very interesting. Um I've definitely um, kind of like looked into a lot of, um, went to a lot of different churches and stuff like that with some friends or family members and whatnot, but none of them ever really stuck with me. And now yeah. I'm here just living my life, staring at the stars. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that is the religious eyes we all viewed this through, uh, this film through. Do any of us even know any, uh, Hasidic Jewish people? Nope. I don't. No. Yeah. I have been to New York City a couple times, and I've definitely actually walked, like, accidentally walked into some uh, Hasidic Jewish communities. I'm not sure if I ever walked through uh, Borough Park, but uh, 
yeah, I, I'm familiar with Hasidic Jewish people, at least. Um, and yeah, so this whole film was spoken in Yiddish. It was shot in the United States. And my first question uh, will be to Kevin. Um, did the writer and director's choice to put this whole film in Yiddish take you out of the film or did it add to the film? Well, uh, so I don't know if anyone else watched this film like me, but I first turned it on and didn't really think about subtitles or anything. And they were talking and I was like, OK, maybe they'll eventually switch to English. And no, it just kept going in Yiddish. So I watched the first three and a half movies minutes of this film without any subtitles. And I was like, all right, probably should throw subtitles on. Went back to the beginning. And of course, there we were. So but during those first three and a half minutes, I could kind of get a vibe of what they were trying to say anyways without seeing the subtitles or the context. So that was pretty cool um, just from their body language and just kind of, you know, the conversations that uh, the way that they were having them. But uh, I did actually appreciate it. As soon as I turned it on, I was like, actually unique. I'm I'm glad we were getting to a foreign language film. I'm glad that this is going to take that because it. Um, my first impression right away was good. It's going to really immerse me in what I'm about to watch, meaning like if we're going to talk about the Hasidic Jewish people and their culture, I'm really glad that we went full in on it. Um, even from like that, I go back to that opening scene with the mom. I mean, that is translatable to every language everywhere in the entire world. A mom struggling with her kids as she's going shopping and the stress and the look on her face. And I think that this entire movie from start to finish is the exact same way, regardless if it's in Yiddish or English or German or Portuguese or whatever it may be. This story is translatable from for everybody and every person who watches it. So it was unique in the sense that they made that choice to make it Yiddish, but it wasn't necessary, I guess, because I think that it could have been anybody could have done that language and it would have been a great story regardless. So great choice, but the story didn't need it because it was such a good story, I guess. Sure. That's my story. Um, yeah, Kelly, I guess I'll do two questions in one here. Um, the previous question I asked Kevin did. Uh, the Yiddish language take you out of the film or add to it, but also why start out with a uh, stressed mom and a crying baby? Why why start out uh, the film this way? Okay, I'll answer the second question first because Kevin already kind of filled that in and he said it better well, than you I could agree have. with him. Yeah, I think that it, yeah. like he said, it translates to every language everywhere. It's just like a common thing that if you've not experienced, then you either grew up in. Or you've seen it, and it's just something that I think is a theme throughout this whole movie. Um, kind of like seeing someone struggling in an isolating kind of way and not being the person to reach out while telling them that there's a whole community that understands what they're going through. I think is something that not only our main character goes through throughout the whole film, but that's exactly what we started out with is a stressed mom with eight kids. And she's just like, praise God, I have eight children, but she's not really allowed to say, God help me i have eight children yeah. <laughs> like somebody please reach out and help me with this situation so i think that that becomes a common thread throughout the entire movie i think that it's a big thing that the movie's trying to say um but your other question about giddish being kind of taking away or adding to i think it does both because this is a hasidic jewish community that exists within the united states which means it's also kind of like that language it's both it's kind of othering and it also is it's othering to an extent if you know what i mean um but it also is something that is like a community that just you share within itself so you both have that communal language but you also aren't the same as maybe everybody else around you by choice um and i think that's kind of like 
the ideal of America is to be this melting pot of all of these different languages and cultural identities and communities. And then once that actually shows, maybe America looks on it a different way. Um, and maybe it does separate them. So I think it needs to be both. And I like that it's in that language because it shows the amount of culture, the amount of like neighborhood that has lasted for decades and decades and decades. Um, I just think, I just found it like, it wouldn't be the same movie if they all were speaking English. And yeah. I think that it's probably accurate to that area as well, yeah. which so if that is just for accuracy sake, then so be it. That's a really good reason to have them speak that way as Eric, well. You made the point that you, he originally wanted to be a documentarian with this or do this a documentary mm-hmm. first. So that is even cooler. So he probably would have done that from the sense of having them speak their authentic Yiddish and themselves and use that yeah. as his doc. So now you're taking that and you're just like, I'm going to move it into what he ended up doing. So I just think that's cool. Cause I didn't really think about that, but now this really does look at it from a pure slice of life sense. And mm-hmm. you have to be speaking your organic language that you do every single day with your family yeah. and friends and your workers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think it only works because, uh, it's an indie film, uh, because like I think of Robert Eggers, the guy who directed the witch and, um, the lighthouse he wanted to do all of the Northmen, which is his last the last film he's released. Uh, he wanted to do all of that in Old Norse, and uh, the film studio told him like, "No fucking way! You can't you can't put this whole film in Old Norse language." Yeah, like I feel like if this had a bigger budget and they tried to do this on a bigger scale, they probably would have told him like, "No, you cannot speak in Yiddish." I mean, that happens all the time in yeah. film. Uh, they they force people to speak in English in English language films, you know. Or I mean, how many other really Yiddish language States. films are yeah. there out there? That's what I want. Yeah, I I don't know, but yeah, um, that I don't know. But also, I think the Northmen would have been better off if they were all speaking mm. old norsk because they have like one scene where that happens and i'm like this yeah. feels so much more authentic to me and there's another thing i was going to say about the actors in this movie specifically when you do watch foreign films you don't have as much of an idea of how maybe your actors are performing because the words to your ears don't mean like uh what they would if you know english or yeah. <laughs> for something like that and i think that you might when not you be paying to attention to the, their acting yeah. as much as what they're saying and like trying to understand and read the mm-hmm. subtitles, I guess. So, yeah. yeah, when you're reading the yeah. subtitles and when you're ta- just taking in everything else, um, almost like secondary to the fact that you're reading, I think that it adds and makes you pay more attention to everything else that is going into the movie. For sure. Well, um, so Cole. What did you think of our main character, Minashi? Uh, despite the obvious cultural differences we all have with him, did you find him relatable at all? Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's a very interesting character that we learn. I mean, we learn a lot about through the film, right? I mean, it follows – the whole film follows him. But, um, I mean, right off the bat, you, you learn that he's, like, very devoted, very religious, um, that he, he see, seemingly does everything – correctly in terms of you know his religious views and in that aspect and is trying to be you know the best jewish person he can be so to speak but um you also learn that he has some faults throughout the film and and has some issues and and you learn about the passing of his wife and you know maybe he wasn't the most in love with his forced wife and Mm -hmm. uh 
I don't know. It was an inter- he's an interesting character, that's for sure. I don't want to devolve maybe too much into it about my opinions towards. I'll, I'll leave that towards the end. But I've got some thoughts about him. I've okay. got some thoughts. And the end. I mean, like, yeah, despite the cultural differences, you still found him like his predicament. I guess maybe not the forced wife part, but did you find him relatable as a person and just kind of how he was irresponsible a bit, but like at a younger age, you know? Yeah, I mean, he's he's. Yeah, I guess like almost kind of like a stereotypical single dad at certain points where in films where, you know, he's working a dead end job. He's trying to provide for his son. Um, but you have an even, you know, normally, I guess in not normally, but outside of, um, you know, that religious group, you know, the son would be able to stay with his father. But because, he you know, he's in that religion and they're in that group. His son isn't allowed to stay with him because his wife has passed. He doesn't have the wife and the son isn't allowed to stay with him. So that adds like a whole interesting dynamic that obviously the film focuses a lot on. And it just, I guess to me, it raised a lot of questions in terms of like the religion of, of you know, he, he they're taking his son away and it kind of sucks <laughs> to a certain extent. And it's following him going through that, that whole period of grieving and losing, a, you know, his wife, but then also losing his son at the same time. Pretty interesting. And so Joshua Weinstein, like I previously said, uh, a lot of Hasidic Jewish people like did not want a documentary on them. And so he had to, you know, jump through some loopholes here to make this film. And I, I think the big thing is that community did not want them. Uh, did what they didn't want their own community being portrayed in a negative light. And so Weinstein kind of had to, he was trying to be very impartial uh, towards this whole community and the way he showed this film. I, I mean, I think he did a decent job of that. You know, I I don't judge too much on the more conservative aspects uh, of the religion here. Kevin? You know, what's unique about this is, too, that Hasidic Jews, especially the ones that took in this film, are not allowed to go watch movies. It's part of their, you know, no technology and simple living. Uh, so I found it a little interesting uh, doing an interview with our main character um, when he went to see his own film. That was the first time he had ever seen a movie before. Yep. Uh, never I thought that was really unique. Before. So <laughs> not only do they have to find people of this community that are willing to be actors and to come in and to talk about their community, but then they also have to find a way to capture them in such a way that makes the film respectful and still have meaning uh i thought it was brilliant like thinking about how you get those people in and they you know they've never these guys are fresh these are not even actors right these are just people off the street that essentially at that answered mm-hmm. a casting call for folks that spoke yiddish that were willing to come in and do something for this and it, it's just such a cool concept where you get a representation of the true i said it earlier like the true slice of life from these people's communities and we we get it all. We get the 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 strict side of it. We get the not so strict. I love the scene with the the Mexican guys drinking beer. I thought that was <laughs> freaking awesome. And it just really you know was just a great idea. The way that he approached it was just was smart. I liked it for sure. Yeah. So uh, I I was just about to say that too. Is that this uh, film? Their casting options were extremely limited, and they mostly used amateur actors or people that had never acted at all, including Menashe himself. Uh, He had never acted before and had never been in a movie theater before uh, he went to Stone Dance to see this. 
Um, so, Kelly, what did you think of the acting performances in this film, knowing all of that? I think I already gave an idea of what I think happens when you have actors that aren't speaking English as an English speaker myself of how I interpret that. And I think it might give them some grace because I don't know their tonality or delivery of certain words or that kind of meaning. But Kevin said he watched the first three minutes of this movie without even subtitles on. I didn't even know the subtitles weren't straight baked into the film. So I think that that has so much to add to the fact that I think all these actors knocked it out of the park. Not only our main actor himself, not only the child, his own his son, everything felt super, super authentic. And I would have probably, I don't think I have any notes for anybody, even the uncle, his brother-in-law. He was probably my favorite character in the complexity of him. Um, not only having his sister who is gone, also dealing with the way that his household kind of runs has this certain level of stress to it with two children of his own and then this third child that they didn't know that they were going to take in. And you know that there's strife, surely, between he and his wife. And then his brother-in-law of his deceased sisters, like, please give me my, my child back. But he has all of these rules he's supposed to be following. So I found him to be a really complex character. And the way that he was able to show all of those kind of emotions of kind of a sense of guilt, kind of a sense of pride, kind of a sense of honor and duty and complication. He was, he was a wonderfully complex character and his eyes sold the story and his way that he carried his own body like he was an amazing actor to me and that's not to discredit anyone else because i really think that everybody just embodied their characters so well and did such a great job all that with the caveat of the other language speaking like i said but i think even if they were speak even if i understood what they were saying as if it was my first language i still think yeah. the acting is just out of the park very very good <laughs> So, yeah, I, I mean, I really think the basis of this film is trying to show Menashe dealing with the conflicts of the Orthodox Jewish lifestyle, but also um, finding healing through his own religion. So we're introduced to Menashe as this guy working in a grocery store. He's a widower. He loves his only son. And in that first scene, Menashe is like uh, he goes up to his boss and asks why his grocery store is selling like unwashed lettuce. Is that that's against the Torah? Um, but only a few scenes later, he's arguing with his rabbi because according to his rabbi's interpretation of the Torah, a child must be raised by both a mother and a father. So, uh, Cole, do you think this kind of conflict between living a truly like Orthodox Jewish lifestyle and kind of living a little bit more in the modern world, do you think this was portrayed effectively um, through this story? Yeah, I mean, I think it um, does a good job of kind of portraying how a man like uh, like our main character is like extremely devoted, like reads all the passages and is, you know, again, trying to be essentially the best Jewish version of himself, you know, to those standards. But at the same time, you know, he loves his son and he wants to be the father for his son. But in a way, he has to break those rules and he has to go against his, his rabbi, essentially. Uh, and I think it brings a very interesting dynamic because, you know, 
I think back in the day, if you look, you know, hundreds and you know, thousands of years ago, uh, I mean, raising a kid by yourself is never, never an easy thing. But I think standards and lifestyles and stuff change and evolve in cultures and improve or, or you know, change in certain ways. And um, it definitely with me, it was hard for me to, I guess, watch this movie and hit see him follow this religion so religiously but then at the same time be hurt by it so so you know so much and i just i really just want to tell the guy like man you don't need all that just take your son you could still be like a very faithful jewish person outside but at the same time if you leave that community you leave that that kind of that family that that structure that support it's it's you know it's one of those things that's very very difficult in, in you know these very tight close knit communities that once you leave you're on your own and it's mm-hmm. very difficult so yeah as they say in that uh, the first scene where they introduce the rabbi and they're all studying he talks about somebody who left uh, the religion and then they kicked their kids out of uh, the school uh, just because mm-hmm. he left the religion so you know that shows how hardcore they are about uh, stuff still in uh, this neighborhood of Brooklyn so. In my opinion, uh, Menashe, he's kind of portrayed as sort of an irresponsible person, though, and an irresponsible father. Like, we soon learn that Menashe did not help much as uh, when his wife was dying, and his brother-in-law actually did most of the caretaking. Um, Menashe owes money to people, and he lives in this very small studio apartment. And we also see that Menashe's son is trying to grieve his mom, but Menashe is really avoiding this grief of his wife dying. So, uh, Kevin, do you think the rabbi is actually correct in not letting Menashe actively raise his son? Like, do you think he's just really not ready for it? And maybe the rabbi sees this? No, um, I think that the rabbi is following the traditions handed down by his forefathers and his forefathers before him and all of the way back to the reason that they live the way they live their lives. I mean, he truly believes that that is the law and that is not negotiable. In his mind, yeah, that's probably the right move. In reality, I think it comes down to the the people involved, right? So the father and the son, and if the son wants to live with the father and the father feels like he can do it, go for it. If otherwise, then the people step in. But your original question is whether or not he was in the right. And no, from an outside perspective of this was real life, if we're looking at this from a true slice of life, I don't think that the rabbi has the right to say, you can be with your kid or not. Uh, do I understand why the rabbi did it? Absolutely. Like that's why this community exists because of the rule of um of these of these rabbis. What's the the slang term for them in this film? Somebody wrote it down. Rove. Rove. Yeah. Rove. Right. So the way that the, yeah. they use that just as such like as the all being everything. And like there was another even scene like where he said the girl couldn't go to college, right? And like they, so these are huge life decisions that this person is just making decisions on. Why? Because some other old guy told him that he had the ability to do it. So I think that might be just my cynicalness looking at it from that perspective. Um, but it works for that community, and I'm not one to to judge anybody's choices at all for any reason. And if that's what works for them and results in, you know happy families great but the moment that we start seeing uh kids that are maybe not being treated correctly or all those other things then we need to step in and religion be damned at that point well as they say gentiles broke the home and then they broke society right so 
Cheers, Cheers to that. To that. <laughs> um, Kelly, I mean, do you think that Menashe is actually ready to be a father? Like, do you think that he would actually, he seems like such an irresponsible person. Let's say, let's take religion out of the equation here. Like, do you think he would actually be a good father to his son if he, uh, you know, uh, got uh, custody of him? so complicated i don't know if i can ever be the one who like passes judgment on if anyone's ready to be a father or not or if they should be or not it's not really up to anyone it's just something that happens or it doesn't but i think that this movie is so good in the fact that you for the first half first two-fifths of the movie you think that he was deeply in love with his wife and she passed away and he's just grieving her loss and then it's revealed like no, they actually, and even the, sorry, even the scene with him and um, it's it's a date that's set up, but it is set up by a matchmaker. Even mm-hmm. in that thing, um, or in that interaction between the two of them, when he says, do you think you're ready to marry again? It's like, oh man, he really took his wife's loss more than perhaps she took her husband's because it's been a couple. A couple months or four months or something for her. And she's like, almost well, a, what else? Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. A year, a year for him, for yeah. but months for her. And she's like, well, yes, I'm ready to move on and get married again. Like, what else is life for? Exactly. And, what yeah. else besides marriage and kids? What else is there? <laughs> I wrote that down. I'm like, Jesus, no and thanks. Meanwhile, Menashe, the way that he asks, like, do you think you're ready to be married again? I think, oh, my, man, he's like really deeply grieving this loss and he had a great love. And oh, I really feel for this guy. No wonder his apartment is the way that it is no wonder his job is so hard for him to take care of like he's deep in this and then we get about two-fifths through the movie halfway through the movie and you find out like no he was married to his previous wife out of duty and they really weren't deeply in love and she really wanted to have a lot of children and he names the fact that what he actually feels about her loss and having the son is guilt and guilt is such like a powerful emotion that I think isn't usually named with its own word like that, or even like able to be found by a character like the one that he's portraying. So the fact that they say that, and then it just like, it just topples over that it's all this like religious kind of trauma that when you're in it, you probably can't even recognize her name outside of guilt. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of responsibility that's like put upon your shoulders that you don't even know how to respond to but you just have to follow it because if you don't then bad things happen regardless so i love that this movie did a like a a 360 on me where i think that he feels one way about the whole situation then you find out it's another and then i found myself thinking after that i went out of my mind of well i am not one to judge him into well, maybe his his brother-in-law's right about him. Maybe he was lazy the whole time and he didn't take care of his wife and that's why their relationship didn't really work out and I found myself wanting to gossip about him. And I don't know if that was necessarily what the movie wanted me to do, but that's the impact it gave me. And I loved that they were able to pull that like the wool off of my eyes. I don't know. That was my like way that I was able to feed into it and it took the scene with the Hispanic men in the back of the place where he works to like pull that wool off my eyes as well. And all they had to do was just be on the same level as him. 
sharing a beer and sorrows and talk together in order for all that to be revealed. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's something in the fact that that scene revealed so much to me as a viewer that it wouldn't be this. That was a crucial moment in the movie for me. I was just going to say, I don't, uh, I, one thing I wanted to hear from everyone is, is do you think he was actually a good dad? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think the way that they portrayed it made me think that he was not a very good dad. And yeah. I don't think he is ready for this child. And, you know, the scenes where he essentially, you know, kind of kidnaps his kid and, you know, I'm going to take him back from his uncle and uh, they go to his place and they, he essentially, he oversleeps barely gets his kid in you know to school the the food he gives him is a slice of cake and a glass of coke for breakfast <laughs> like the dude is is not prepared and i don't doubt that he loves his kid but he is just not very responsible he's obviously has issues at work and you know he's um just generally struggling a lot and i think he kind of needs to figure out himself so that way he can properly take care of his kid beforehand um but i do i still think that's a good reason to take the kid away from him absolutely not i think it's you know i think he probably needs the kid to be there to understand that he needs to be better right and if the kid's not there then he has no reason to get better essentially uh, so I, I don't know. I like wanted to root for this guy to be a good dad, but he never seemed to really turn the switch to be that 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 you know role model or that good character, you know. And then the kid with the drinking, he starts drinking, and then the kid steals his phone and mm-hmm. calls his uncle and is like, "I don't want to be around my dad when he's drunk." And then, but then the kid is like, "I like my dad when I like he's my drunk." Dad. <laughs> so I, I don't know. It was very very interesting, uh, but um, I was I. I'm glad Eric brought it up because I was curious what other people yeah, thought. Yeah, you guys got you, it's great points. Great points all around. I think that the ending of the movie when we get to it reveals how the movie feels about him um, and his his arc as a character, right? The way he he approaches the the ultimatum that he is given. I think Cole said it best, right? It's He's not prepared, but it doesn't mean that he shouldn't have given you a chance to do it. Uh, and I think that's what this movie is also saying is like, you may not be put in a situation, the best ideal situation to handle something, but you have to handle it. It's the same commentary that the movie makes about the traditions of, of this Hasidic Jewish culture is that you have to handle the way the traditions are, the way that life is given you, the way that uh, things have fallen. That's part of your culture. That's part of who you are. And that's just the way things are. And I think that the movie does a great job of really painting that picture. And back to the scene, since we were just kind of touching on it with the Hispanic gentleman and the drinking of the beer, That's there's a lot of English in that scene too. So we get this melting pot of commonality between the two cultures where it doesn't matter what language you speak, you still have the same commentary on life. The same things happen to you. You still have wives who text you all the time where you are or wives that pass away that you state that you're relieved by. That was powerful when he's like, yeah, I was relieved when she passed. I was like, holy shit, that really kind of sets everything up. Like, you were happy when your wife passed? That means that everything since that point has been better than you have felt before that. But now you have 10-year-old kid that you're trying to fit into that feeling too. But then on top of all of those things, having this some sort of honor and loyalty to some religion and old man who's dictating everything under the sun for you in your everyday life man this movie's complicated <laughs> and it, 
goes back again to the, if this was in English, would it be as meaningful? Absolutely not. Like you have to translate this stuff into your own brain. You have to read it in what they're trying to say, translate it into what the actor's trying to portray with his body languages, and then think about a script all at the same time. And it's just crazy when you put a real life scenario on top of it. This movie is 80 layers and it's really cool. I think about Cole's slice of life love every single time I think about this movie because it's really just like if you were put on the outside of this community that you know nothing about and then you're all of a sudden thrust, thrust into it. There's a reason I'm segueing all over the place because I have a lot of great thoughts, but you know how YouTube has got this popularity of people interviewing random people on the streets, whether it be homeless folks, <laughs> yeah. drug addicts, uh, yeah. counterculture. This wasn't like that, but it was. It was telling me something that I didn't know before, and it was giving me a complete exposure to what the realities of that living might be like in something that even down to a grocery store visit. I think I appreciate this movie so much more now talking about it than I did while watching it. And that's such an, a great feeling because A24 does that all the fucking time. I mean, literally, <laughs> if we did a, a tag on every movie that we said, oh, I like this more or discussed it more as we were kind of going through this process, it would there would be have dozens of them. So good on A24, good on the director, good on the script, good on all these people because it really was just brilliant in a lot of different ways. And I know that sounds like my end review, but it's not. It's just how passionate I am about this discussion. And also TM, 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 registered trademark, A24. You can't take that from Kevin. That's what he always says about your movies. And you need to pay him <laughs> dividends if you try to market with that. Yeah. Come at me or pay me money. It's fine. <laughs> so I guess my opinion is like, I think he was a very irresponsible father. And I don't think he deserved to like raise his kid. I I think that he is not ready to raise a kid whatsoever. Yeah. He's giving his kid cake and pop for breakfast. And isn't getting him to school on time and uh killing so chickens. Is, Let's yeah, not forget he killed the chicken. Yeah, and the end that chicken died too. Um but like this is the contradiction here is that his dad uh forced him like went to Israel, forced him to get married to an is Israeli woman, bring her back to the United States, and God knows there's probably tons of pressure to have children like after you get married. That's like you know, th there's people that they're saying, Oh, we have eight kids and we want more, you know, like so much pressure to have children. So I do think that this film is trying to show, I guess, guess both ends of the sword of, okay, this is how this community is, and we should have understanding for it and appreciation even for it. But uh, a lot of the people in these communities are put in these extremely stressful situations just because of the traditions that they have to live by. Uh, and I, I was also wondering, you know, so he says, well, in that great scene where he's uh, drinking 40s, with uh, the Mexican dudes at the behind the grocery store, he, you know, he said his dad forced him to go to Israel. Like, um, where? Yeah, where's his dad? Where's his mom? Because I, I'm thinking, like, if I, mm -hmm. my, I mean, my dad would never force me to get married to somebody. If I had like an accidental child, though, I would probably uh, bring bring them to my parents and be like, "Help me raise this kid." I. I can't do it on my own. So that's a big question mark in the film too, I guess. It's like, what happened to his dad? Why is uh, the brother the one that, you know, is left to raise, brother-in-law is the only one that can raise the kid? Um, but yeah, that's a question that we don't get answered, I guess. When Minashi finally reveals how his wife died, you know, he, he said they tried to conceive a child via in vitro fertilization and then she got a blood clot and she, that's how she died and he actually said he felt relief when she died um but he now feels guilt cole can you understand where menashe is coming from 
when he says this. Like, what do you think of him saying it was like a relief, a relief for him for his wife to die at first? I mean, obviously they had uh, a very bad relationship, and he um, he's definitely a a interesting person that um, is probably just very different and had very different expectations for wives and and like the relationship and they were not in one of of love they were in one of you know forced and in, in of uh, almost of convenience in terms of the child and uh he uh doesn't seem to want a lot of kids because throughout the film he's they're like talking about you know you need to marry this girl and he's like well how many kids does she have and they'll tell her they show she's got three of them and he's like no i don't want any part of that so um obviously he didn't want a lot of them and uh you know, it's probably one of those things where when she died, there was that brief moment where he felt like he was free and could um, essentially go live his life the way he wants to. But then um, the guilt of realizing that, like, this person that you're supposed to love and, and, and you know, be with has died and you essentially feel the opposite of what you should. And then that guilt sets in. And then, you know, I think also the reality of everything crashing around him with, you know, I'm not going to be able to raise my kid. They're going to take my son away. And then all this other stuff of, you know, maybe if I was a better father from the get go, that none of this would have happened or, or, you know, there's a lot of repercussions that could have come from it. And I don't know, maybe if he pushed war, she would have tried to get the in vitro and then she might have survived. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of things you don't mm-hmm. quite figure out, but I could definitely see where that guilt could come from. And I can see why he would feel that. Because if I was forced into a relationship with someone that we don't jive, I mean, that's that's a, a life of, you know, misery, you know, having to live with someone that you don't like. Uh, so it's it's complicated. And that's yeah. where... You know, it's one of those things where with these kind of religions where they live in absolutes of things, you get a lot of these issues. And I I don't think religion is inherently a problem or anything like that. But when you live in the absolutes of anything, you're always going to end up in bad situations, whether it's religion or politics or anything like that. If you say something is like absolute, usually you need it. You're you're closing yourself off to something. So, Kelly, did you? feel empathy for him when he uh, talked about his wife and the way he felt when she died? Yeah. um, Because the fact that he's able to open up to people who are outside of his community about it, where I don't think he got to actually name that with any of the people that are supposed to be his support system. And really, he doesn't have a support system. And I don't think he even did when he had a wife based on what's going on. And we don't know his family, his immediate family. We're not exposed to them. So it almost makes me want to believe that maybe they aren't part of that religious community that he's a part of, which makes it kind of open-ended to me because I think that a lot of the times the people who are in those communities are born into them. But every now and then you have somebody who, even in these kind of modern times, is introduced into a community like that. So. I don't know if I necessarily think that that's true for him, but the fact that it's set in modern times makes it a much better story because that's why I think it becomes such a relatable story. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I answered you directly or if I totally (laughs) just went off into like what I was kind of thinking about when Cole was speaking, (laughs) Mm. but did I answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, 
I guess you were saying like you had some empathy for him, but it was kind of it, it's just like the way the situation he was kind of forced into. Is that what you were yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um definitely empathy for him, but I also agree like what was kind of mirrored with the with the chick and his son um with like the head trauma basically killing them and <laughs> both of them fall based on something that he did and something that he caused in a way you guys are saying that he isn't ready for fatherhood that's that's true but it's just something that happened to him and i think that his sin probably is pride and i think also for the filmmaker there's no way we can watch this movie without casting an opinion on him and i think that what we're supposed to do if he's part of our religious spiritual community is not judge him, but support him within the confines of our rules. And it's so fascinating because the way that the movie is shot is so different from how everyone behaves in that world. You know, they're all supposed to not be judging him, but the way that they show him in his life, it's really hard not to. And you think that he could he could be the worst father ever, but maybe it's supposed to be from the perspective of his son and how his son is taught to look at his dad. Uh, it just raises a lot of questions for me. Gotcha. Well, um, let's take a break from the heavy stuff. So uh, a big part <laughs> of this film is seeing the everyday rituals that these people do, because uh, this is what their faith requires of them. Um, and one of these things is waking up and washing your hands every day, because as Menashe tells his son, being clean on the outside makes you clean on the inside. And I guess I'll I'll just say my favorite ritual that I saw was the uh I think it's called Lag Baomer. I probably completely botched that. Uh it's celebrated on the on the thirty-third day of the counting of the Omer or Omer. Might be Omer. I don't know. But uh it's basically where they burn that huge effigy. Everybody's burning uh throwing stuff into the fire and they're all like singing and having a great time. And then I mean there's the scene he went into uh that guy's house and they were all drinking and just chanting and playing uh, music and acoustic guitar in a, a circle. And I, I was just like, Kelly even said like, so if I was a Hasidic Jewish woman, I could still drink. I would just have to be at home. I couldn't work and just raise a child. And you're like, well, maybe I could do that. That doesn't seem that horrible. <laughs> but uh, you're not supposed to tell the whole world that. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Just, just ruined it all. But, um, Kevin, what was your favorite ritual that you saw in this film? I mean, I don't know about favorite, but the one that kind of got me is <laughs> most when, interesting. How about that? Yeah, when yeah. all the um, Hasidic men got together uh, and they were in the room all reading the Torah, and they were all just kind of bobbing back and forth and humming incoherently together as they were reading. I was just kind of interested. I'm like, all right, so what is what is the the body motion and and the head jiving with while reading sacred scripture? Like, does that get you closer to to God? In that circumstance, kind of meditative, um, yeah, maybe like that's kind of you're you're putting yourself directly in that space. Um, the other one that was really interesting was at the very end of the film where we see our um our character take the the mikvah the mikvah, which is the traditional Jewish bath um for cleansing. Um, and that was just a pretty cool way of of kind of button ending it, but using a very real. Uh, real ritual and real ceremony that um, a lot of, of these Hasidic Jews take 
incredibly serious. Like that that ending scene holds a lot of weight from a, a reality standpoint. Um, when a lot of synagogues and, and Jewish places are built, this mikvah is like the first thing that they think about, the first thing that gets created from an architectural standpoint or a, like a fundraising standpoint because it's so powerful in their uh, traditions of, of, of a cleanse, of, of creating something new. And I think that... Cleansing the body cleanses the soul. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure you will get to it. And I'm sorry if I'm stealing your thunder constantly in this nonsense. But um, you asked about traditions, and I thought that was a pretty cool one that they brought into this film uh, as well. For sure. Cole, did you have a favorite tradition? Like, did you have one where you saw and you're like, oh, I could do that. I could be a Hasidic Jewish guy. Like, I, I'm going to move uh, to Brooklyn <laughs> tomorrow. Um, I don't think I saw one that made me be like, yeah, this is the way to go. <laughs> But um, I definitely, I think, I think the one that interests me the most, which is mostly just because of, uh, was, uh, is the, like, the hand washing. And it mostly just reminded me of um, the fact that the reason why they, like, met, like, back in, like, the 1800s, surgeons and people that performed medicine never washed their hands between patients. Mm -hmm. But then it was, like, kind of discovered that the Jewish and other uh, doctors that, ritually wash their hands were like had much better like survival rates and all that stuff surprise and, uh yeah i think that 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 i guess interests me or piqued mine because i was like oh yeah i remember reading about that and there, you know there you go that's why it's happening is you know so in a way the like you know the super old school hardcore religions Paved the way for modern medicine and science. So oh, it's just shit. a big yep. Venn diagram of one big circle. There's not enough <laughs> people about talking that? about this. Yes, yes. So, wow. So thank you. Thank you for your uh, their uh, contributions to modern medicine. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, Cole, you probably wouldn't be sick right now if you wash your hands every morning. So Yeah, well, Cole. so that's my problem, right? Like, <laughs> I never wash my hands, but now I'm thinking about it. Like, if I was Jewish and living in Brooklyn, I would 100% be, I'd be fine. So yeah, you I just got to move there and you won't be sick anymore. So. Yeah, I just yeah. got to find, I, I wonder if there's any, if there's a, a group here in, in uh, Alaska. There's got to be at least one, them. right? Probably yeah, an Anchorage. Yeah, there's got to be, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, this film uh, was made by secular Jewish people. So, yeah, obviously they were not Hasidic Jewish people. And they wanted to show this community without judgment. Kelly, do you think this film actually kind of provides some understanding for people that live in these types of communities and the laws they adhere to? Like, did you kind of leave this feeling like I can understand why people actually do choose to uh, live in this way outside of just inheriting it from? you know, their parents and their parents before them. Mm. So I break that down probably into two different questions. And the first one, I don't think that you can watch this movie and not feel the fact that they were trying to keep you from placing judgment on these, on these people. I don't want to say that on Menashe and what he goes through and the community that he lives in, because the, like we've kind of already we're saying about it is the struggles that he's going through, the struggles that we see of people in his community are something that is relatable to all of us, um, certainly. Do I understand the second part of your question, which is kind of why people might choose this lifestyle other than mm -hmm. being living in it? Um, or maybe like I being think in inheriting it, you know, inheriting because of it. Your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your parents did 
uh, lived like this too, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's because the movie told me this or because it's just what I'm like thinking about it. Maybe the movie kind of told me about this is kind of the simplicity of it in a way. Um, it kind of takes away a lot of gray areas and in-betweens because it can be more like dead set on if this happens, then this happens. Almost like logical in like a robotic kind of sense, but in a survivalist kind of way. So it kind of simplifies a lot of uncertainties in life in that way. And then I think also the scene and near where closing on the end um if i'm gonna bring up this scene but it's probably time to talk about it is when menashe has the memorial service at his house and absolutely makes me cringe out of my soul out through the window the fact that his food caught on fire and is smoking up his whole apartment is just kills me just kills me but (laughs) When I kind of understand what they're trying to mean is they're all following uh, what their Rav? Rabbi? Rabbi, yep. Tells them, which is just the way that he behaves in that kind of situation is completely different from how everyone else is trying to walk in. But they're trying to temper their emotions, right? This This is the result in your community of what happens when you kind of just like don't lift up somebody who's struggling and they want to like kind of maybe hide and push that away as religion becomes more and more modern but it's the rabbi who says like he never passes judgment on him and he is always he said, kind like of this kugel is fit for a king even after yes. he burnt it and he eats it happily yes. doesn't even make yep uh a face whatsoever Yep, so not even them just walking through the door and saying, we can't eat in here, we're all going to choke to death. And then the rabbi, he's the one who opens the window and just kind of smokes it out. He's the one who says, like, fit for a king. So if he's the one that they're all supposed to be striving to be, and he is also the one who is the least judgmental, most loving, most fair person, then I could understand why everyone says, like, we want to strive to be like him. And not that we need to know how he treats maybe like his household and everything, but you have to assume he has a phenomenal wife. He has children who are all happy. He has eight plus of them and they're all doing great as well. Like there's something to strive to and it gives you a goal. It gives you a Northern star to try to follow. So I think the second half of your question is kind of that, like if you have someone to model like that, then I think that that kind of, makes your life easier to live. Yep. So early on when we were watching this film, Kelly, you said that um, the camera work reminded you of the TV show Rami. And Rami is also done by A24 and follows a young uh, Muslim man growing up in New Jersey. Um, Or, I mean, living in New Jersey because he's an adult. And I feel like this film, like, it definitely... I can see like almost some kind of comparisons to it. I mean, they're they're both growing up in these Semitic communities. But what I think this film is trying to say and come away with is that, you know, we all have different ways to get through life and uh, we have different spiritualities that we follow or there, there are so many 
different guidelines or I guess morals that we try to all adhere to and we're all kind of different in what we follow like for example somebody in Los Angeles um they might judge like the Hasidic Jewish community uh for being so conservative and strict yet they'll go to yoga and reiki every day and they'll talk about their third eye and they'll rub their crystal I I think that we all need something to feed our spirits and keep us going uh, as we go through this life. I think what works for everybody is just a little bit different. And like in Rami, um, I came away watching the show Rami saying like, oh, I mean, I could see why being Muslim could be like great for the soul and great for the spirit. Even, you know, if it means you you can't drink like we do on this podcast, you can't, you know, uh, can't smoke weed or do any of that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's still it's getting you through tough times and the community can get you, it it can pick you up when uh, you are feeling down or having a really rough time. So Kevin, uh, this will be kind of what, where I ask you, what did you take away from this film uh, as it ended? As it ended, I thought that it was the right choice. I thought that it was the logical conclusion. I thought it was what they should have done. Leaving it is a not happy ending, but leaving as an open-ended question on whether or not our main character has the ability and the um, determination to to get his son back. The entire film kind of delved into that question. We've all been talking about this entire episode, whether or not he was a good father, whether or not he was fit or not. And it answered that question. It showed whether or not we, as a viewer and as a community, uh, the Jewish community, decided that he wasn't ready. And Menashe probably admits that as well. We see that. I touched on it earlier when he goes into the ritual bath and dons the um, the black coat and hat of the way what he wasn't wearing before. His son made mention in that scene that his dad would look good, right, with, with the hat, and he just never wore it. He must have been either self-conscious or didn't think he deserved it. But it, it showed a proud walking man who probably was going to get ready to get his son back in one fashion or another or to gain his control of his life back, control his debts. Uh, I mean, we saw the scene when he kind of admits his faults to his brother-in-law, right, that there's problems. So we see some redemption in there. I keep referring to this whole slice of life thing. It's probably like the fifth time I've talked about it, maybe even more, and it's because it's so real. I can see this happening in everyday life with brothers and families and everywhere in this redemption arc and this idea that you can have a second chance. You can have another ability to to do something right by not just your yourself, but your family and your religion and the culture and the, and everything else. And again, this was based off of essentially a real life story. This is based off someone's real life. I mean, biographical feature film, which is pretty wild in its own sense. So this was you know loosely based, based off some, so not loo- completely okay, yes. biographical. So let's not yeah. confuse our audience here. But I mean that the gentleman that this was based on has. A, a deceased wife and a son that he just raised. That's real life. So that is something that he has to handle. They asked him uh, in an interview if he thought his son would watch the movie, and he's like, no, he's much more uh, traditional than I am, and he won't watch film. He's not, you know, so he follows those traditions. So that's real life. Like, his son is is following in the traditions of his, his family. So I thought the ending was great. It was um, brief to the point and, and was appropriate. So I appreciated it. For sure. Cole, what did you think of the uh, ending and what did you kind of take away from this film uh, as it as it ended? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the ending was 
kind of the culmination of everything. It's it's not like the ending I would say I wanted, but it's the ending I think we all knew we were going to get. And I think it's kind of a, it's not a bad ending. I thought it was a, a good ending and a good way to do it and kind of in an artful way as well. Uh, but I will say like kind of going back to your, your um, earlier question with, um, you know, was the how did they portray the religion and all that stuff? Um, like Kelly said, I think it's hard to show the behind the scenes, so to speak, and the in-depthness of this uh, religion without casting judgment. Um, and I think they could have done probably a better job of showing the kind of the positives of a very close-knit community that follows like all these guidelines. I mean, they did show it with him like kind of essentially going to like a party and hanging out and drinking with all the elders and stuff like that. That was that was good. I thought, it, you know, maybe don't bring your kid to a, that. But, uh, you know, they did show that aspect of it. But, you know, a, a lot of times it felt like, you know, a lot of his struggles was because of his community versus the opposite where, you know, the community is, I feel like they should have focused on, you know, the community has these rules and those rules are causing the issue and the community is still there to support. And there's a reason why he's not leaving versus it just felt like the community and the rules was, was not being very helpful to him across mm -hmm. the board. And it was just a lot of negatives. And really the only reason he was staying is because that's all he knew, which, yeah. you know, and that's maybe like that's, where his kid was and not to interrupt you, but yeah. like, why is his kid's school so important? Like that was the crux around why the kid needs to be around here, why he needs to raise in yeah. that. Sorry, Cole, I totally interrupted you, but it was just, it frustrated me. Mm -hmm. No, I did like, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the TV show. Netflix had a TV show that was like a German uh, miniseries called Unorthodoxed. And it no. followed like, a woman essentially trying to decide if she was going to leave um, the like the Orthodox Jewish community in Germany. Very, very good show. Very like it's a very hard watch, but I think it does a very good job of towing the line of essentially this woman who... Um, has to decide if she's going to leave the community and everything she knows and like her husband and her whole life behind and essentially be ostracized by everything to get out of, you know, something that she does not enjoy, feels repressed. And also um, she's like kind of learns about the outside world, so to speak, and mm. and um, gets involved in music and some other things. Very good miniseries. And I definitely mm -hmm. think it, it does a good job of kind of towing that line. And I wish this film maybe did a little bit more of that where it showed the positives because, you know, as, whatever your opinion is about any religion, there's always negatives and positives, right? And the positives a lot of times is the community and the, you know, they always say it takes a village to raise a kid. Well, I felt like they didn't do a very good job because they're, you know, yeah. they're, the person raising the kid was the uncle and he didn't seem too happy about the whole situation. So, yeah, at the end so of the I, day. For all yeah, we know, the uncle was raising him well, though. I, you know, that yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying he might have been a responsible person, but uh, and also, I guess, like what I see is the spiritual aspects of his religion uh, were getting him through this tough time. Like, I agree that the ending I really enjoyed with him taking, uh, I, I, I'm just gonna call it the the bath, um, and he was cleansing himself in his spirit and you could kind of tell like he was 
he was feeling this like great relief of sorrow and grief and like just kind of feeling like cleansed. And I I could see like why somebody could take the spiritual aspects of this religion and really like benefit from it. And yeah, like I I agree though that these very strict rules in some of these religions are not uh very conducive to people's mental health. I, I can totally agree there. But then I also like think that uh I don't know, just the spiritual aspects other people follow, we might think it's ridiculous and then we see closer like how it helps them and benefits them. Uh and then you start to like understand and realize, oh, this is actually like getting this person through tough times and everything. What did we think of the cinematography of this film, Kelly? Was it true cinema? True cinema with a capital T and a capital C? Yeah. In my opinion, not true cinema. Wow. Kevin, true cinema or no? Nah, nah. What the fuck is true cinema? I liked it. it capital was good. T, capital C, true cinema. Yes or no? No. <laughs> no. Cole, no. true cinema or no? Nah. No. Okay. Cinematography no, was, did was, not like pass. Like you said, the it was test. a documentary that they made and fluffed up like a feature film. That's what yeah. it was. I feel like the camera work was a bit better than just oh, documentary camera work. No, no, no. Camera no work. but yeah. I'm just saying, like the themeality of it, it didn't feel anything more than that. Okay. Can I give my caveats of true cinema? Sure. It's not true cinema in the fact that it didn't look like a most violent year. That was the first one I think in our A24 wheelhouse. <laughs> that I went. That one's like the like the, the big big the velvety beautiful everything else. Red this velvet cake movie. Yeah, red velvet cake of movies is true cinema with a capital T capital C. This movie was very shallow depth of field throughout almost the entire movie, which uh, seems like an intentional director's choice, but it also might be a, a constricted choice from budget. It still is a high quality shot at every period, but it's also a very closed shot all the time, which I think is meant to portray we're supposed to be in our character's head. We're supposed to feel a little claustrophobic, but there was never any like really big wide shots throughout this whole movie. All of it was pretty closed. All of it was pretty shut, almost like shoulder to shoulder throughout the whole film. That's As if not- you're living in Brooklyn, right? As if you're living in Brooklyn. So I don't, I'm not saying that it's not intentional, but it's not TC, if that's what you're trying to ask me. I think that that requires a good amount of wide shots and landscapes. I want more variety. This movie didn't have a lot of variety of shots. That's fair. All right. Well, let's get into our ratings here. Uh, I guess I'll start because I think I've laid off kind of saying a bit here, but um. I actually really enjoyed this film. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to get up into the A category for me, but I enjoyed seeing a completely different culture, uh, a completely different community that I never would have like thought to look into uh, from a film aspect and how they put it in Yiddish. And you did feel like you were in a different country, even though you were right here in the United States in Brooklyn. And I enjoyed the journey of our main character from the start kind of being this irresponsible person who we know is a widow, but like we know he's not exactly a great father. And then we see him kind of slowly turning into a much more responsible and I guess spiritual, but also 
I think he started to respect himself more and more throughout the film. I think that was a big thing is that people said like he did not have respect for himself. And can I not? Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt your like very first thing that you're saying in your interview. And we never usually do this at the end of it. But the first quote that I wrote down, and you know, I don't usually take notes, was his brother in law saying, How can I respect you? You have no respect for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think what you just said, just like that's a story throughout the whole movie. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. And, and I think that. Him showing humility to other people in his life, like his brother-in-law saying, sorry, you know, like, um, I'm trying my best, uh, I'm, I'm learning, uh, that was his journey, and that was the main conflict throughout the film was him versus himself. It might have seemed like him versus the brother-in-law, him versus the traditions of his religion, but it was really him versus his own self through, through this whole film, and him learning to respect himself, and I think it took the memorial, and um, also, you know, like, grieving properly with his child he did not grieve pr- properly with his child throughout the whole film and you could tell he had never really grieved the wi- uh death of his wife properly and i think that's what the ending was it was him finally grieving properly with his son taking the bath cleansing his spirit going out into the world and putting on a hat and a coat saying you know i um I've evolved a bit. I've I've am taking on, you know, more responsibility. I'm trying to learn to respect myself and love myself. I really enjoy that journey for him and uh that you know, yes queen. Uh I love that for him. And um I I actually I like the cinematography the cinematography in this film. It, it was more intimate. I agree it's not true cinema. Uh but I also really like the soundtrack. Uh they did have kind of like a s- same um song kind of echoing throughout throughout this but i think it provided great like somber moments of resolution throughout the film i i think it it carried me on a good emotional journey and it gave me an eye uh like i said into a community i never you know thought about walking into so saying all that saying that a24 slash joshua weinstein and everybody who made this film like kind of gave me a whole new perspective on a community and dropped me into somewhere I never thought I would see in film. I, I think it deserves some points for that. And I like our, our journey of our main character and the fact that all these people were amateur actors uh, and they acted this well really impresses me. I'm going to give it a solid B24. Um, and that's the same I gave Slow West, uh, I think. So I know that's a movie other people didn't like, but for me, it kind of has the same bits to it. It didn't like exactly knock it out of the park for me, but at the same time, I still enjoyed myself while watching this film. And it was at a cool hour and twenty-two minutes. And I know Cole loves that, so uh, I'm giving it a B for Cole too. I certainly so, do. Cole, you don't have to give me a review. You got a B. All right. <laughs> okay. Just kidding, Cole. You go next. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So as Eric pointed out, this uh, film falls into the sweet spot of the ninety-minute cinema. Uh, that I enjoy. Um, I don't, uh, I will say I liked the slice of life. I liked that style. I liked this film for the most part. I've already kind of touched on how I felt like they didn't do a good job of, uh, showing the community aspects and the support systems that, uh, these communities have for one another in terms of, um, his neighbor like gave financial. him a cool recipe and said she would have baked it for him too. Oh my God! You know, that's not, that's not the community I'm looking for. I'm looking for something more deep, more tangible. But um, 
No, I thought I thought it was a, a it's very you know it's it's uh, it does a very good job of showing you in a dynamic of a religion in a subsect in the United States that a lot of people are not super familiar with. Now I will say that I have seen the show Unorthodox, which is a phenomenal miniseries. It's only like three episodes, and I think that like set the bards also in like. I think it's I think it's in Yiddish, and then it's also German, so it follows in this that interesting category. But regardless, I think it kind of tainted, not tainted. It set my expectations higher, even though this came out before that show. Uh, I think it opened the doors for it, so I respect it and all that stuff. And I think he set out to do a very interesting documentary and pivoted and made a decent enough film that you know opened your eyes to a lot of things. I don't know. I just a lot of this didn't I guess stick with me as much as maybe others um, I wanted more out of it at times I felt like it kind of they there's times where it seemed like it skipped over key parts that I really wanted them to dive into and they just kind of like fast forward and then other times they slowed down a lot in parts that didn't seem that important to me um Overall, I don't think it was a bad movie. I don't think it was necessarily a good movie. So I'm going like right in the middle of the road and I gave it a C24. So Okay. Kelly, you up next. I think I'm going to keep it short. I always say this, but then it, I talk way longer. Um, your girl loves a soapbox. I think I don't want to be on a podcast until it's time for me to speak and then I talk a whole bunch. Anyways, I wrote out points on my normal quadrants. The... Uh, Acting, as I touched on, killed it throughout the movie. The soundtrack, which I hadn't put my words into, I think is one of the strongest soundtracks of the A24 world that we've explored thus far. I like that it incorporates like old instruments like the mandolin with contemporary kind of slow, methodical piano playing in a lot of areas. I like that it blends acoustic and electric. As far as the score as well, I like that it starts and ends with a similar theme, but the beginning one is paced really fast, and the ending one is really, really slow. So I think whoever wrote this score, and usually I look it up when I like it this much, um, deserves a lot of points for the perfect tonal match that they created for this movie. I will say I think that the cinematography of the movie was just fine. Um, I don't know if it was limited by budget, but that was kind of the impression that I got. I think that with the story that they were telling and with the acting that they were able to find and with the scenes um, as far as location that they were in, I think that they could have got some really amazing shots. Um, and they just they just didn't. They decided to kind of keep it focused on our characters and I wish that they explored more and gave me some wide shots. Um, and I think that the story in the end was also fine. It didn't like blow me away. I could totally pick up the aspect that we wanted to give documentary, but we gave story instead because it felt like it, that was how it felt, um, somewhere in between the two. And I think that it was kind of shot that way. And I think that Maybe for some people that's a strength for me. It was kind of more of a weakness because it didn't feel as much of a movie movie. With that said, I still definitely think that this movie had A24 vibes in that it was artistically done 
with the artistic part of it that I would say would be the methodical pacing of the movie and the twist that I touched on earlier of you think that Menashe felt one way about his situation that he's in, and then you find out he's probably likely a different way as a person. And I think that that added a lot of layers to it without them telling you what it was. And I think that there were periods where it causes you as a viewer to have to think about what is being shown to you and what you think of it yourself. They don't spoon feed you anything. So with those A24 vibes, I think that that was good, but it I wasn't blown out of the park at the end of the day. If it was a normal movie, I would score it higher, but because it's an A24 world, um, it was middle of the road. So like Cole, it is also a C24 from me. All right. Uh, and the music was done by Aaron Martin and Dag Rosenqvist. Rosen- Rosenqvist. I think that's it. Vist. All right. Kevin, round us out here. Wahoo. Man, I feel like I have spent a decent amount of time in this pod kind of giving my thoughts and praises to this film. And like my co-hosts, it's time to get down to the nitty-gritty, which I haven't really touched on too much. It's weird when you get a movie that is more thematic and more digestible from an outside perspective than one, and you're like, oh, cinematography and music and all of the other things we talk about with most films. I think that's probably accurate when Eric asked if this was a true, what was the cinematic, I don't know what the, the buzzwords you were using earlier. True cinema. True cinema, right? Um, so I don't know. I think it probably puts that into question whether it is or not, if I can't judge it by the same standards that I normally would, uh, the other cinema in a 24, I did watch this in the middle of the afternoon, kind of as a, as a, I need to get this done type of project, but I did walk away from it being relatively pleased with it. I, I don't say it was like overly entertaining. It didn't have my attention. I wasn't drawing on every single line. Um, it was, it did feel like I was kind of watching it for the sake of watching it, but it did provide some something unique in the A24 category and I've really enjoyed this discussion with everybody that always bumps up the movie a little bit for me too because I know it's not just a one view walk away that's how it's going to be it's also the digestible information that I get from my co-hosts and kind of the discussion that we have around it that truly formulates my opinion in my review if you're still at this point and you're listening to us I know I've sounded pretty praiseworthy of this film but it also had me points where I was you know, yearning to grab my phone and kind of scroll a little bit while it was going on, probably because it was the uh, lack of English. So I had to be really paying attention to everything. The true slice of life where you're you're getting a, a commentary on the smallest of things and the, the day-to-day things that don't really grab your attention. And then, of course, the relative sadness of the film, right? It's not a happy story. It's not something that keeps you attention-wise from my, I'm rooting for my main character. You're just kind of going through the motions and watching his everyday life, which is absolutely the intention of the film. And I enjoyed it while I was watching it, but I think I enjoyed the discussion more. So what does that say about the film? Uh, I think I'm probably going to stick right around where my other co-hosts are. I'm going to move it up to a C plus because I did think that um, it really did have some great thematic points to it. But Overall, it really wasn't a movie as much as it was just a commentary on a, on a society and a culture that we don't see a lot on, and it was done in an artful way. So good for A24, I'm bringing it to the attention, but as a standalone movie, it's if you're on the completion track, go for it. If not, you can probably skip it, C plus 24. Alrighty. So uh, 
Next week, we will be doing a Mount Rushmore of animated films uh, with our good friend El Capitans from TikTok or Terrence Thomas. And uh, we hope you watch that. And the week after that, we will be reviewing Good Time, which is the Robert Pattinson uh, starring Safdie Brothers movie that is probably one of, uh, it's an A24 favorite for sure. Find us on all social media. Please rate and subscribe. And thank you for listening tonight, everybody. Shalom. Shalom. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.